every day brings us closer. Closer to the moment when the next generation of NFL stars learn their destiny. And franchises try to lay the foundation for the next dynasty. Whitney first pick. This is First Draft. Now alongside NFL Draft Insiders Mel Kiper Jr. and Todd McShay, here's Chris Brown. Welcome to the first first draft of the new college football season and then the NFL season, which starts about 24 hours from now. So we're going to hit them both. Mel, Todd, we're going to, I want to jump on, uh, you both put out stuff on rookies that you are interested in, rookies that you think are going to blow up. Um, obviously, we had some big changes this week just, just from where we were standing when you guys wrote some of those things. You know, the, the news that Carson Wentz will be the starting quarterback in Philadelphia, you know, really interesting development. I mean, we saw it in 2008. I'm sure Mel's familiar with it. Joe Flacco went right from FCS, uh, went 11-5 and with Baltimore in 2008 out of Delaware, for some reason, this feels like a, feels like an even bigger jump, Mel. You know, Carson Wentz going from, you know, North Dakota State right into the starting role for the Philadelphia Eagles. And not only is he jumping right into the starting role, he missed some time during preseason. He had the fractured rib. Something makes this one feel a little bit bigger. I mean, is that your sense? How do you feel Carson Wentz is going to do, you know, off the bat here? Well, you don't know. Uh, that's the, the mystery of a rookie quarterback who has missed all that time with the injury. And it was kind of one of those things where it just evolved into this because of Sam Bradford being needed by the Minnesota Vikings with the Teddy Bridgewater injury. And Minnesota certainly didn't want to write this year off. They had high expectations. They thought they could be a Super Bowl caliber team. And all of a sudden have that deflated and feeling we're going to now be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now to make that move, give up a first-round pick, Philadelphia recoups the one they had lost to get Wentz. Now they get the one back from Minnesota. This coming April, uh, draft being in Philadelphia, so the Eagles will have that first round pick back. Uh, but making that move of Bradford, uh, Chase Daniel's not going to be the guy. You got a new head coach now. You get the new quarterback in there. And uh, as far as Flacco, Flacco was at Pitt. Maybe that added the reason why people weren't shocked about Flacco's ability right away in the NFL. But let's face it, he didn't do anything there. He goes to Delaware. He played in the Senior Bowl once. North Dakota State, high level one double A program, highest level one double A program, and uh, he's at the Senior Bowl as well. Unfortunately, he had the injury. But it opened up, Todd, because of the Sam Bradford situation. Had Minnesota not lost Teddy Bridgewater, then I don't think right now Carson Wentz will be your starting quarterback. No, I would tend to agree. I think, I think that I know for a fact they love what they saw out of Wentz, but they it's such a small sample size that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to disagree with the fact that Bradford probably would be the starter, and and I think that would be the right move. But if they don't think there's a big difference between their top two guys, and you've got Wentz, and you know he's the future, and you've got a lot of young players on that roster that you like, and now you've got an additional first and probably fourth-round pick for the trade. I mean, I think Philly's in a really good position moving forward if Wentz is the guy. I mean, that obviously, if Wentz is the guy is the huge question, but they believe that he has everything that they thought that they that thought they had in him when they drafted him. They get him to the facility. They love the way he works. They love the way he picks things up. Um, how he translated it to the practice field briefly to the game, even though you know he wasn't perfect. But uh, before the injury, he did some really positive things. And I, I think that they're just going to ride with their young guy and, and see where it goes. Todd, you really liked Carson Wentz during the draft process. And it's an interesting thing we have going on here. Jared Goff's inactive. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about this 
thing that it's hard to prove statistically, and but we use the word, oh, they're going to ruin that guy. And we point to a car in Houston who gets sacked 72 times, and we say, well, that's the case where they ruin him. But then I just said, you know, Joe Flacco wasn't that great as a rookie. It was a great defense, and it worked out. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't a great rookie. It was a great defense, and it worked out. Do you buy the idea that Carson Wentz can be ruined, or is that just a thing that we – that's just – 2020 hindsight. I think the only way you ruin a guy is if you're getting him murdered, if you can't protect him. I think we saw that with Sam Bradford. It absolutely set his career back because the the injuries he suffered behind a horrible offensive line the first couple of years. And when he was healthy, he actually was playing well. But he's either lost his confidence or just a lack of consistency and bouncing from one coordinator to another to organizations and everything else. Um, But I think – Wentz is mentally and physically tough enough to handle what he's going to have to endure, and I think he'll be fine. I think, and we said it all along, from a passing standpoint, there's no question that Goff was more advanced and more consistent than, uh, than Wentz. But I think from a, a system standpoint and understanding what it takes to get guys in and out of a huddle and all the verbiage that comes with it compared to what Goff had at Cal and that Hal Mummy-style offense – I think it's just been a big transition for him, and he's probably a little overwhelmed. Yeah. Sure, Wentz has been at times too, but it's been an easier mental transition for Wentz than it has been Goff, whereas the physical transition is going to be easier for Goff because he's played at a speed that's a lot closer to what he's seeing in the NFL compared to what Wentz saw at the FCS level. So I don't. It, it'll be interesting. There's no right or wrong way. I would love to see both of them get a year to develop, but we've seen more often than not recently first-round picks are having to play as a rookie and a lot of times in week one. So there's more success stories of guys who have had to play right away than there are you know, the Derek Carrs and Sam Bradford types. Mel, you, you've railed on this for years, though. You, you have always said, or David Carr, I back said. in my day, we would let these guys sit for a year. We would let them sit for a couple of years. And, and I know that there's modern examples of that, too. I mean, Carson Palmer was the number one overall pick, didn't take a single snap his whole year, waited behind John Kitten. They thought he would get better. Are you worried about Carson Wentz being ruined? I don't think Doug Peterson is going to allow that to happen. Uh, he's been in this league. He's been around these teams that have had quarterbacks. He was a quarterback. Uh, yeah, to me, I think it's about how you handle him. If you see he's getting overwhelmed, you see he's getting hit often, and your offensive line can't get it done, uh, then yeah, I think you maybe have to make a move there if, in fact, he's struggling mightily. But it, it doesn't matter. If you put him out there, you're going to let him work through that. Troy Aikman had said, hey, you got to play. you got to be out there. you got to learn by playing. A lot of them said that it didn't. They, they wish they would have. So I think most quarterbacks feel that way. Now, was it the best thing for Palmer and Culpepper and others to sit? Yeah, it was. Uh, but if you have the mental capability that you're not going to worry about the criticism, the fact that they're going to make could maybe call you a bust or call you a disappointment. Goff's going through that right now. He's not even going to be active. He's the third-string quarterback. Mentally, how do you deal with that? And I think certainly physically, as Todd said, you don't want a kid to be banged up to the point where he has a shoulder or a knee or some type of major injury. Look at RG3, what happened with his career because of that injury. Uh, so to me, it's how you handle them and what you see and how you react to what you're seeing and how this whole thing evolves is going to determine that. Uh, but for right now, hey, uh, you know, they feel like, hey, in this division, right now with Romo out for we don't know how long and a rookie quarterback Dak Prescott in at Dallas the Giants they're still struggling the Redskins hey we know they won the division only because of Romo's injury I don't think any team wants to give up the year and I think they feel right now Wentz is their best quarterback and I've said all along Bradford 
was really optimized by the injury to Bridgewater. To get back a number one pick that you had traded for Wentz, and maybe that fourth as well in 2018, I think made Philadelphia moving forward potentially a better team than they would have been. So everything kind of it's been a kind of a perfect storm the way that whole thing fell into place for the Philadelphia Eagles. Blaine, Gab- Blaine Gabbert and and um, Blake Bortles are good case studies in in how important mental and physical toughness is to survive if you're going to play as a rookie. Now, in all fairness to Blaine Gabbert, that team was a lot worse than the current Jaguars. And the current Jaguars, the last two years, haven't been great. Um, they're getting better, no question about that. But one guy was able to handle it, and they had a lot of failure in his rookie year, but he got through it. He worked in the offseason, worked on a couple specific things for his throwing motion and, and obviously on the mental aspect, aspect of it. And he's developing into one of the better young quarterbacks in the, in the NFL right now, whereas Gabbert, and again, he took more of a pounding, and it was a worse situation, but he just didn't have that toughness that you need in order to overcome a horrible supporting cast. So that'll be important for Wentz. I, I truly believe both of these guys mentally and from a toughness standpoint have what it takes. It's just a matter of when the organization thinks it's right to get Goff on the field and, and how the supporting cast is able to step up and, and put that quarterback in a good position to succeed. And it's crazy, Mel. I mean, you mentioned that division – Kirk Cousins got going. Interception machine. His last eight games, after you like that, you know, he, he was a completely different guy. Eli Manning's rookie season, 1-6, 48% completion percentage was thrown for like 110 yards, like unfathomably low numbers mm-hmm. a game. And as Todd says, it's just all about how you feel about the guy. Generally speaking, what we hear from what's coming from inside Philly is they think he's special. They think he can handle it. So, but it is, you're right, Todd. It, it's really about, it's not about how the guy succeeds. It's about how he handles failure. I mean, essentially. Right. Um, but as Mel pointed out in that division, we don't, we don't have to assume they have to fail because it's out there. Guys, the one other quarterback before we kind of get out our rookie picks here, how's it going to go for Dak? I mean, fast. I think it's the most interesting thing in the National Football League this it's, year. Right? It's crazy going into the season. I think it's the single. If I if I'm allowed to watch one game every week for the first three four weeks, it's going to be the Dallas game because they are good enough everywhere else to win that division. Yep. And Dak Prescott to me was this it just he's got the stuff. He's got it. He's got the size. He's got an arm strength. He's got mobility. But he just was never consistent. And he came from the Dan Mullen system that. You know, it's, it's a, a leap in terms of what you're asked to do. It's different in the NFL. And he had so many – Dak did at Mississippi State in that zone read option, uh, high, you know, fast tempo, There's so many one-on-one throws. I went back and watched two games yesterday because SportsCenter wanted to do some stuff this morning on it. I watched the um, Mississippi game and the LSU game. And it's not that he was bad. He missed some throws. He made some solid throws. But there were, there were not – I had to really stretch to get two – good plays that I wanted to use to illustrate what he can do and out of 140 on SportsCenter. So it, it just he wasn't challenged like that with a lot of pro-style throws and intermediate down the field, and a lot of the touch throws were vertical throws, you know, nine routes and deep posts that were, you know, throw it, throw it up for grabs and let the receiver go make the play and against man-to-man coverage. So Dak has come a long way. I, haven't, I won't pretend to tell you that I've watched every single snap from the preseason. I haven't. But I've watched enough to know that he's playing with a lot of confidence. And Jason Garrett and that coaching staff have done an unbelievable job putting him in a position to succeed. 
And I'm just I'm really anxious now to see with defenses actually game planning and the best players on the field defensively and knowing his weaknesses and strengths, how Dak goes out and plays because I don't have a clue. I think you could absolutely flop because he's overwhelmed and there's too much early. But I also think Melvin, 78% with five touchdowns, no interceptions in the preseason. I know it's the preseason, but I've been blown away by the way he this young man has come out and, and played as a rookie. He's been outstanding. I mean, 11 passes uh, incomplete. Very few hit the ground. Some of those were catchable and weren't caught. Uh, the line, you think about the Cowboys and where they are right now on a defensive line standpoint, and the pass rush ability of those guys is going to be very iffy. So mm-hmm. the defense is a concern. I think the quarterback's going to have to put some points on the board to protect this defense a little bit and maybe outscore the opponent. That's what's going to be interesting. If this defensive line can't rush the passer then and they have success, the opponent has success, then it's going to be pressure on Prescott and this Cowboy offense to score points. They have the running game to take pressure off, but nobody knows. I mean, and I, this goes back to golf, and I think what Jeff Fisher sensed is, if he's overwhelmed by this, how can we put him in the backup role even moving forward? Because you don't game plan. You're not seeing You're seeing guys who aren't even going to be on these rosters that are out there playing defense, and you're not showing anything. And if a quarterback is struggling and looks like a deer in headlights then, as golf did, we can't even make him number two. Okay, And I think when you look at Prescott, he didn't look overwhelmed. He did everything right, but that doesn't mean when the bell rings, he won't be in a bit of an overwhelming situation. So nobody knows. Nobody can say they know this. They're guessing. You're gonna be, hey, you got a 50-50 shot of being right. Now, we'll caution for Cowboy fans. They go back to the Aikman-Walsh deal. Troy Aikman and Steve Walsh were at Dallas at the same time. And in that preseason, Steve Walsh looked great. Troy Aikman did not. And I remember analysts saying, boy, look at the way Walsh moves his team. Aikman can't. It's a big difference. Well, who ended up being the better pro quarterback? So, and there was a big move by Dallas trading Walsh to New Orleans. But don't overreact to preseason, good or bad. Certainly don't overreact to an early uh, first year of a quarterback's career. If it's great, hey, celebrate it. If it's questionable and struggling, don't panic and think this is not the right guy. So, uh, I think for Prescott, you're right, that game, uh, you know, coming up this Sunday, a 425 kickoff. Uh, right now, the New York Giants are established as a one-point favorite. That wouldn't have been the case if Tony Romo was a quarterback. And the last thing I'll say about this, if Prescott does do well, what do you do if you're Jason Garrett and the Dallas Cowboys? Do you go back to Romo if when he's you ready? go back to Romo, man. Yeah. I'm wow. saying if Prescott is doing really well and he's surprising everybody, go back to Romo until he gets injured again. If they're undefeated, yeah, he'll he'll go back to Roma for a quarter and a half. Collarbone. All right, hey, all I'm saying is if if Prescott is struggling mightily and they talk about Romo, then you kind of rush him back. Romo's had major injuries. I think how this plays out because nobody knows if Prescott's lighting up. Don't give me that stuff about Romo. You wait on Romo a lot longer then. You don't have to if Prescott's doing well. So you know, I'll say this. Todd McShay, do you would you roll the dice that Prescott is doing really well or he's struggling mightily? If I had to pick one or pick the right other, pick right now. One, one of the two. It's A or B. B. No in between. All right. Let's, let's B. I just I, I think it's a long shot that he does. I think he could kind of manage it. And all right, is he adequate or awful? I think he's just barely adequate and gets him to Romo maybe with a couple of wins. How how long do we think Romo's going to be out? Five five weeks? They don't know. Longer. Yeah. All right. They said six to ten weeks. They said six to ten, but maybe closer to six. So we'll see. So there's if it's inten- four games, I think they go one and three, two and four. Because there's intense fascination in this situation, I got one more question for my offensive coordinator, Todd McShay. And there's a reason I'm asking McShay. He's been around Urban Meyer's system. He's seen it up close. He's seen it. We've seen it in Florida. He's talked about these guys, how 
when these guys are asked to be run threats, when they're asked to be exposed, I don't care whether it's JT Barrett or Tim Tebow or going back to our boy at Bowling Green in 2004, Prescott had 536 carries when he was at Mississippi State. That run option, we didn't think of him as a dynamic runner, but that Mm -hmm. run option was there. It creates windows. It changes the way linebackers particularly have to defend, safeties have to defend. So there's a little bit of a catch-22 for Dallas. Do you do what has helped this guy succeed and and put some of that in? Some of those, a lot of those run pass options – behind this great offensive line, or you're exposing him to the fact that one hit and you got Mark Sanchez there. I mean, do you try to change things or do I'm you I'm going to really limit it to yeah. – I'm going to limit it to goal line and third down short yardage situations where very clear that, hey, we need to score or we need to get the first down, but I don't need anything else from you. You know, I don't care if you slide after you pick up the first down. Just get move, move the chains. That's it. Um, but because I, you can't design runs for a quarterback when you're already down to a rookie third-round quarterback yeah. pick and, and don't have great depth behind him. So I, I think you would limit it as much as possible. But you have, And then the other part is, too, when, when the play breaks down, he's just instinctively going to take off running. And that's mm-hmm. when you get nervous as a coordinator. But it's also when you get excited as a coordinator because that's what this guy can potentially bring to, you, to your team yeah. is – the ability when that initial play breaks down to, to make something positive out of it. Now, here are the games, guys. Here are the games. At You've got the Giants at home. You're at Washington. Bears. Chicago at home. At San Francisco. So, so of those four, Mel, just let me cut you off. Mm-hmm. Chicago was 14th in total defense last year, and I know things will change. Yep. But then the the other three, the what was it, the Redskins, the Giants, and, and, the, 49ers. and the 49ers were all in the bottom five in the NFL last year in total defense. So that's working for them. Yeah, and I think Cincinnati after that, then at Green Bay, those first four games are critical because they have the Bengals at home, then at Green Bay going into your bye week. And that would be the week to get Romo maybe mm-hmm. ready if, in fact, Prescott is struggling. What you want to do is tread water. Then, if that's the case and he is struggling mightily, tread water. And by treading water for those six games, you would want to be 3-3. Three and three. That's what you would hope to be if you're the Dallas Cowboys. Find a way to yeah, get the 3 and 3 is a miracle. Because out of the bye, you got the Eagles at home, then you're at Cleveland. Yeah. Eagles at home, three and at three Cleveland. you can live with. Yeah, yeah. So two and four, one and five. That's not what you want. Now if they happen to go better than three and three. That's when you have something. I said when RG three and Cousin, that, we'll see what when happens. Piper calls, now, calls down to Jerry and says, "Go with Dak." Hey, no, no, no. I, I just, I just think all this stuff is interesting. It was all Kirk, Kirk Cousins, RG3 when they were drafted. I said, hey, it could cause some issues there down the road. Well, Cousins became the guy, RG3's in Cleveland. So anytime you have this scenario, uh, nobody, when, especially Todd, when you can, any, nobody, anybody that talks about this projection this week, nobody has a clue. So they're guessing. They've got a 50-50 shot of being right. So, you know, to me, how this plays out, is going to be probably the storyline of the whole NFL season. And Todd brought up, as we close this, Todd brought up Blake Bortles and his, frankly, disastrous rookie season in terms of numbers, 25. It was a mess. Blake Bortles was awesome as a rookie during the preseason. He really looked good. And, you know, in the preseason, it's just a constant reminder, especially for defenses, it's a battle of who can show less. You want to see something from some of your players, but you ain't showing anything. So... You know, what the Giants have, what Washington has, what he's about to see, believe me, he probably hasn't seen any of it in the preseason. Mel, Mm -hmm. 
put out a piece this week. You're all preseason rookie team. This isn't the best players. It's the guys in the best positions running back. You got Zeke Elliott, Derrick Henry, wide receivers. You got Sterling Shepard, Michael Thomas, Tejay Sharp out of Tennessee, a surprise. Talk about who are the guys at the end of the year from the offensive side of the ball, your top three rookies for that Offensive Rookie of the Year award. I would go to Derrick Henry just because the fact Tennessee could be an improved team. That's a division with a lot of question marks. And he is a powerhouse, and he's going to get you touchdowns. He looked a lot quicker than he was at Alabama. He makes people miss. He gets that hole uh, in fast fashion. And I think having that one-two punch for Mariota in the backfield is going to give them an opportunity to have some success. So I think Derrick Henry, Sterling Shepard with the Giants, in that division now where the Giants could creep up and, and have a pretty good year, I think Sterling Shepard, look what he's met to Oklahoma. Oklahoma already sustained a loss. Look what Dak Prescott met the Mississippi State blew a big halftime lead and lost to South Alabama. So two key guys there uh, you know, would be Henry and Shepard. I'm going to go on the defensive side. And Michael Thomas, certainly, uh, you know, the wide receiver from Ohio State with the Saints, if you just want offensive guys. And Ryan Kelly, the center at Indianapolis. So I think there's a lot of guys. The injury factor has really been huge, Todd, with a lot of these rookies and Chris. Uh, I counted right now almost 10 guys, 11 guys that were expected to have key roles with teams that are hurt right now. And so the rookie injury factor has prevented this class right now from doing the job they expected. Todd, who stands out for you on offense? We didn't get into the Tunsils and the Jack Conklins and the Ronnie Stanley, but some offensive players you think are going to be right up there for Rookie of the Year at the when we're all said and done? Uh, well, Ezekiel Elliott, I'm I'm interested to see when the lights turn on. You know, against the Giants week one, we already went through the schedule. And and if the quarterback play isn't where it needs to be, how much are they going to rely on him? I know they've got some depth at, at running back, but can he be the guy right right out of the gate? And so behind that offensive line, you would hope, you, you know, you spent that early pick, number four overall, right? Yep. On Ezekiel Elliott, and you're expecting him to come in and, and be a big-time factor for you in the run game, and that's what Dallas wants to be, a run-first offense. So I think he's the player, the player to watch in, out of all the rookies in terms of production. Um, Mel mentioned uh, Sterling Shepard. Every report you get is that he's not only just in games, but also in practices, that he has just become a legitimate, consistent weapon for Eli Manning. Uh, I also think Tyler Boyd is an interesting guy to watch when you consider the situation that he's in. Cincinnati is probably going to be the number three starter, but in that offense, you're, you're getting a lot of snaps, and you're getting a lot of opportunities uh, so I, I think Tyler Boyd's in a position to succeed. Laquan Treadwell, I love the guy, but how long is it going to take for him to get a rapport? You know, with Sam Bradford, yep. Sean Hill. Um, how's that passing game in general? Josh Dotson's coming off the Achilles injury, but I think he's he's one, probably he's right up there. He's one of the top two or three re- receivers in terms of ability in this class, and and I think that he can really have success as he gets healthier and healthier as the season progresses with Kirk Cousins in that offense that I think is really underrated. What about defense? Hunter Henry's another one too. Sorry, I jumped you there. Yeah. And I know he's going to be the back. Antonio Gates is 36. Right. And I so mean, and maybe it'll come. A lot of two tight end looks. Yeah. Right. And maybe it'll be a year from now or two years. But I think Hunter Henry's in a, a good position to succeed there. I talked to uh, Eric Williams, who's our San Diego Chargers nation reporter there yesterday. And he said the thing about Hunter Henry they really like is they think he can block. Yeah, he's gonna. Just, they can just keep him on the field. Um, you know, Antonio's gonna be running around, but you know, they think uh, they think Hunter Henry can can stay on the field, and you know, his ability to catch passes wasn't the problem. 
Now, let's stay in San Diego real quick. Joey Bosa has been the name of the preseason for all kinds of reasons that have to do with his agent and how San Diego does business with rookies. But here, here we go. And, you know, he's, he's not going to get a huge benefit of the doubt for getting off to a slow start because he is Joey Bosa. Um, Mel, you, you mentioned uh, that you thought Joey Bosa could get off to a good start regardless of the missed time because maybe they can simplify things. They can say, go get that quarterback. And it's a little bit more like that transition for a running back when you say hit that hole. But for a for a pass rusher, if they put him in pass rush situations, you said, I think Joey Bosa could be okay out of the gate. Do you still feel that way? Well, you know, the uh, late reporting with all that injury, uh, the contract situation, that injury, and and being in a position defensively where how are they going to utilize him? You know, you're talking about playing him down, playing him up. How are they going to you know factor the missed time in with the lack of knowledge, in with the fact if you put a guy and say go from point A to point B, go get the quarterback as fast. That's different. But if you're going to have him play a down position, it may not be as productive as it could be if you haven't won your feet. So. How they utilize him when he's 100%, how much knowledge does he have of what he's expected to do out there. I've always said, hey, pass rushers have come into this league and done really well. But will they give him that opportunity on a fairly regular basis to just pin his ears back and go after the quarterback? I think that's going to be something to watch, how quickly he gets back to where he needs to be physically. Uh, you know, Joey Bosa missed an awful lot of time. But I think how they handle him, we talk about quarterbacks being handled properly. How is Joey Bosa utilized and handled throughout the course of this season will dictate how many sacks he has. Todd, Joey Bosa, you thought, was arguably the best player in the draft. Yep. Is he a guy, if you're if you're coaching Joey Bosa. He'll be in shape. He, I yeah. know that. He'll, he's he's ready he'll to work. Run. That's just in his DNA. He's a worker. Um, and he'll be ready, as ready as he can be physically. But you do. You have to manage the snaps, and you have to see how he's playing and how his body's responding and all of that early on. And 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 be smart with him. I don't. I wouldn't expect him to come out and and win defensive rookie of the year in the first half of the season. But I, I do think as the season progresses, that he's going to wind up uh, becoming more and more productive and on the field for more snaps. Obviously, if he if he's able to stay healthy, it's too bad it was a setback. But I, I don't think that it's it's going to affect his career or, or you know maybe just a few games as, as he gets going I really don't think it's going to be a huge deal Odell Beckham uh, Jr. did nothing the first half of the season and was with the rookie of the year so right. and that was because of an injury uh, so you know you never know that's why I say too much talk is about these uh, in, you know, immediate reports from training camp on these rookies but uh, I think from a defensive standpoint and, and and an offensive standpoint a lot of injuries I go through this list this thing about Bronson Kafusi in Baltimore you know, Lawson and Raglan in Buffalo, yep. Keanu Neal at Atlanta, William Jackson, Cincinnati. We knew Jalen Smith was hurt coming into Dallas. Sheldon Rankins in New Orleans. Wentz was hurt. Now he's back. Bosa with a holdout. Josh Dotson, you mentioned his injury throughout camp. Nick Martin, center with Houston. So a lot of these rookies uh, you know, have had, had issues that have prevented them right now from being factors with their respective teams. So let's do real quick, guys, before we get into some of the, our prospects. Who's your defensive rookie of the year? Who's your top couple, Todd? Hmm. I still think Bosa can wind up being mm-hmm. that guy. I think when it's all said and done, like you said, it, you know, it's the second half of the season. If he starts coming on, he yeah. he, he could be that guy. I, w- I would probably go with Bosa right off the top. I can't believe the Buffalo guys. Yeah, that's. I mean, Raglan would have been a, a Raglan not a shoe in, but right there, put him in. He's ready to go. Yeah, that's I think. Position. I think when we talked, he was on the short list of guys when we talked about defensive rookie of the year. 
right, right after the draft. Raglan yeah. could have been it just because the production he would get as an inside linebacker in that system and the, the number of tackles he can make. And line, linebacker tends to be, not always, but tends to be a little bit of an easier transition than certainly up front. We see so many defensive tackles struggling right away and, and needing a year or two to really become huge factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but inside linebacker, usually those guys, they, if they're going to be good, they're typically ready to go pretty early. Mel, what about you, D-Rookie of the Year? I think you look at Javon Hargrave in Pittsburgh, Jonathan Bullard, two defensive linemen, Bullard in Chicago with the Bears, and, and Hargrave in Pittsburgh. I, I think you look at, at Green Bay with uh, you know Kenny Clark and, and Blake Martinez, uh, two young kids on the defensive side of the ball. I'm interested to see, and Todd and I had this this debate, I guess it was on draft day, about you know, Chris Jones at, at Mississippi State going to Kansas City. Like Chris it. Jones has, an, has probably more talent than any defensive lineman in this draft, Agreed. but he played when he wanted to. He mm-hmm. was get plays they took off, and there were plays where he dominated. You know, they're utilizing him now in Kansas City as more of a guy we can put in certain spots when we need some some uh, pressure, when we need a guy to get into that backfield. But we got to keep him okay at 100 miles an hour. And I think the way they maximize and and, and manage. Chris Jones in Kansas City, uh, and they start out with a team that's got to play better on the offensive line. Uh, San Diego Chargers got to get better. They could not protect Phillip Rivers. It's going to be interesting with Kansas City uh, to see how Chris Jones factors in uh, if they handle him properly. He's not a full-time guy, but as a situational performer, can he have a productive rookie year? I'll throw in two more just because they weren't mentioned. Darian Thompson in New York with the Giants and Carl Joseph in Oakland. Why? Because they need him to be good. Those guys need to step in right away. Darian's got to do what Landon Collins was asked to last year, which kind of play out of position. And, you know, Carl Joseph's jumping right into a role where uh, Charles Woodson, guy we know, is, uh, was there. So those guys need to jump in right away. Safety's got to fly around, make plays, miss plays. But you at least know they're going to show up. We hit the rookies. Hargraves is another one to keep an eye on. Vernon yeah. Hargraves. Vernon Hargraves can play nickel, hop in right I've heard, away. I've heard – Good things in terms of what he's been able to do. Chris Jones is another one. You're right. Yep. And Jihad Ward in Oakland. You mentioned uh, Carl Joseph. Jihad Ward in Oakland with the, out of Illinois as a second-round pick. Had a nice uh, preseason. Well, we covered the rookies. We covered Prescott Wentz. Now we are going to jump into the NFL prospects for ah, 2017. My God. We'll do that again after the break. But first, a word from DraftKings. Everyone, football season is finally here, and it's time to put your fantasy knowledge to the test to win your share of a hundred grand in DraftKings free week one contest. That's right. DraftKings is hosting a free contest this weekend with a hundred thousand bucks in total prizes up for grabs. Remember, DraftKings.com is the destination for one week fantasy football. One week fantasy means no season long commitments. It means play whenever you want with the players you want. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and follow your team live. Renew old rivalries with friends to prove you're the superior GM. Or you can try the 50-50 contest where the top half of all entries wins cash. DraftKings even has contests exclusively for beginners. There's something for everyone at DraftKings. Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use code ENERGY and play free in this weekend's $100,000 fantasy contest. The contest is 100% free. It's nothing. So there's no reason not to play. Again, that's code ENERGY to play free for your chance at hundred grand this weekend only at DraftKings.com. 
DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See the website for details. We're back with the First Draft Podcast. The experts, Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper, the host, the Sprow, non-expert. Guys, let's jump right into this. You guys both had rankings come out last week. Todd, with the interesting situation where he got he ranked a guy number one overall, Leonard Fournette, and then he was up in Lambeau Field on the sidelines. Mel, did you see Todd do the Lambeau leap? Hey, I was impressed by the whole uh, the game with McShay. McShay is on Adam the sidelines. 37-inch hurt. I, I don't care about all that. The insight he gave, the way he interacted with the booth, uh, with Brian Greasy, great rapport, great synergy there. Uh, McShay is on a roll, man. I, I got to tell you, he's, he's found his niche. Uh, he, fortunately, maybe leave me alone with the draft and just be do this during the whole rest of his career. He's phenomenal. You wish. <laughs> so, I appreciate. I was it. just kidding. That, that, but no, that, no, I got the nicest nice two sentences you ever put together, and you had to finish it with that. No, seriously. No, thank I, you. I, I, was, I, watched, I watched a lot of that game, and I think the it's not easy to be on that sidelines and have guys up in the booth and be able to know when to jump in and when to lay out. And I thought to watch the game, it brought an entertainment value that normally you don't get with sideline reporters. Well, aside from the Lambo leap, and aside from the incisive uh, sideline reporting from Todd. Uh, there was also this factor. Sideline analysis. Uh, not sideline analysis, prefer. yeah. <laughs> Sensitive. He had some good reporting, though, after the game. Good question. So Thanks. here we go. We got our number one prospect in the draft, Leonard Fournette. It's a running back. That's always a little awkward because you're going to say, hey, this is the best player in college football. And Oh, but by the way, I don't necessarily know if I draft him that high. But here we saw Leonard Fournette run into eight and nine man boxes. Obviously, Wisconsin very quickly figured out that, you know what, we're not afraid of the quarterback situation at LSU. And they were stacking it, and they had a great plan. Um, Leonard Fournette really struggled, and I guess the question is... is See, this, that, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. He's, he did. He struggled, especially early. They struggled, I should yeah. say. And there was not a lot of running room. When they finally decided to... to hand the ball to him consistently, like in that second drive of the second half when they gave him the ball five straight times and they marched down the field, that's when things started to work for them offensively. And he still, while struggling, he still finished the game with 176 total yards of offense. Struggled. 23 Quote. carries, averaged six yards a carry for 138 yards, and then three catches for 38 yards. So, by his, I mean, I think we all were expecting this – you know, you build it up in your head, and Leonard yeah. Fournette, and, it, and this is his year before he goes to the NFL. He still had 176 total yards of offense, but it it wasn't enough. And I think the big thing was just the first half of the game, LSU not getting him the ball and working so hard to get Brandon Harris going at the quarterback position. Yeah, Mel, what do you think about Leonard Fournette? I, you know, as Todd pointed out, it's not like the production wasn't there, but I'm getting these memories of Jadavion Clowney. Coming back, and you know, it ended up with only two sacks. And we talked about production, production, production. And then we had to say, well, but look at him. If you watch on every play, he's in position and he's he's missing sacks. And God, look at the double team. Look at the triple. You know, we kept talking about is Leonard Fournette up against those kinds of ridiculous expectations where we're just going to have to say he's just a great player, and you know, he's still getting a reasonable amount of production against these loaded defenses uh, built to stop him. I mean. Is this just going to be a constant thing for this kid? It's unfortunate, uh, and it's amazing that when you have Leonard Fournette, a talent of that 
a phenomenal ability. I mean, he brings to the running back position, and you can't develop a quarterback when you know everybody's geared to, to stack in a box, stopping and containing Leonard Fournette. And you can't do it. You know, the top team's 10, but your quarterback should have some easy throws. And all these years keep going by, and we can't at LSU figure out a way to get a quarterback. Felipe Franks leaves to go to Florida. Maybe he would have been the guy, but he's not there now. you got a kid who transferred in from Purdue. We'll see what Etling, if he becomes the quarterback. But right now, the fact that year after year with Leonard Fournette, we can't find a passing game at LSU that you can live with is pretty amazing to me. Uh, Fournette's a great player. One thing about Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook was contained running but caught the ball very effectively, dropped the ball when he was going in for a touchdown, went out of bounds, ended up with a field goal, not a touchdown. Didn't hurt him in the long run. But the story, Todd and Chris, of this week was running back Nick Chubb. To come back from the injury the way he did and to run like he did against North Carolina and to show no ill effects. Now, you want to see him catch the ball a little more. He had 18 catches as a freshman, only four last year. Wasn't factored in in this game. But as a running back with that juke move uh, where defenders are reaching for air, uh, I, I was impressed with Nick Chubb showing no ill effects from that injury. Less than a year removed from that injury, he rolls against North Carolina. And his stock, you wanted to wait as far as ranking, how high in the top 25 that you're going to move him or put him in there. He, his arrow is moving up, and he will be solidly in the top 25 uh, this coming week. Guys, if you guys come bounce back. Yeah. It's good. Uh, Chubb was one of them, and uh, Mike Williams, <clears throat> excuse me, was another one, the coming wide receiver the from injury. Clemson, yep. coming off the neck injury. And there's one more I was thinking of. Um, it'll come to me. Well, a, 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 a team, a situation where you guys have obviously stacked with prospects is the Alabama defensive line. Mel, you had Tim Williams. Mm-hmm. At number one on your initial board, James Conner from Pitt. James Conner from Pitt. Thanks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Opening touchdown for them, James Conner. But, Mel, you had Tim Williams number one. I can understand why. Dynamic pass rush potential. You know, the question being if he's going to, you know, what, what happens when you play more and more snaps? Last year it was more situational. Todd, you had Jonathan Allen higher. I mean, when you, when you mention these two guys, then I think about a Miles Garrett. I think about it, Dewan Smoot, who Todd has really high kid out of Illinois that not a lot of people know. Devontae Fields. Some good good pass rushers in this Is class. this uh, – Charles well, Harris, yes, Missouri. It, it, last year, we're really just in April, the, the talk was, wow, this is there's a lot of pass rushers. Defensive line is, again, really deep. We talked to teams. They had, you know, they had starter grades on, you know, third-round – Defensive tackles, is this year shaping up to be an, another year where pass rushing is really, you know, stacked at the top? I think so. I mean, Jonathan Allen, Malik McDowell, Miles Garrett, DeJuan Smoot are four of my top five players. And then Tim Williams I have at seven, and the grade's not very – I mean, they're all basically the same grade. Tim Williams um, and then Devontae Fields and Charles Harris are all in my top ten. So you're talking about, what, seven of my top ten are in some way, shape, or form, whether it's defensive end five technique or defensive end in a 4-3 defense or an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. Some way, shape, or form, they're pass rushers. And then you're going to get, you know, you got Barnett at Tennessee. Mm -hmm. You got a guy like Dietrich Wise at Arkansas. Tyquan Lewis is a guy that could emerge at Ohio State. Ohio State, again, looks like they have 90 good underclassmen, you know, prospects. I mean, Mel, where where do you see this just as really way out, ten you know nine ten months out, early impressions of this class? But it, it sure looks like it's pretty stacked up there on the defensive line again. 
And a guy that had probably the most dominant effort and was the key to Florida State's comeback was Demarcus Walker. Yeah. Uh, he was in that backfield all the time. They mm-hmm. moved him around. He got the pass rush uh, on Kelly that really turned that whole tide in that game to Florida State, down 28-6 at one point and reeling. And to come back and dominate that football game, I think it was all dictated by the ability and the leadership. And the, the, basically to set the tone was Demarcus Walker, both on the field and in that locker room at halftime. So Demarcus Walker, arrow moving up, Isaac Rochelle. And a loss to Texas did a really good job uh, you know, as a guy who was in that backfield and really stout the entire way. Uh, no question, the, the front seven guys on the defensive side, uh, linebackers can get after the quarterback. You mentioned a smooth at Illinois, linebacker Hardy Nickerson, very active as well all over the field for them. So I think front seven players, Haynes at Ole Miss uh, got it done. Uh, no question, pass rushers this year will be front and center. But and running I back thought, is strangely deep too. That would probably be is. number two if you're just yeah. comparing what we're used to to what the talent level is. We talked about Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Florida State, Christian McCaffrey from Stanford, um, Nick Chubb now back healthy, James Conner back in the mix as well. So there, there's a lot of talent back. Yep. Guys, what about the quarterback situation? Just, you know, just, to, just to get things kicked off, everybody knew Deshaun Watson coming into this year. We talked a little bit about Brad Kaya. Those are really the two. After that, it becomes... I don't know. What do we think about who's going to be that next guy? Who's going to be that third and fourth quarterback that emerges? It is I think, Ky- I think Kaiser is, is interesting, and I didn't do his tape in the preseason. There's only one year of tape, and he didn't come in the year as a starter. But just watching it, I know that they're rotating. I, I'm not sure why. Um, That's with a Malik, change in Todd. I with Malik believe. Zaire, I would have yeah. to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would think. Uh, yeah. But Kaiser looked really good, mm-hmm. and he's cool. he comes from a grounded Family environment, very intelligent young man, has mobility, but he's a, a passer first and his big, he's got the size. He's, I mean, he's got all the tools. He still lacks game experience, but he's going to get more and more of that this year. So he's an intriguing player. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this season goes and if he continues to develop. He'll be right there, in my opinion, Mel, in the mix when you start talking about Watson and, and Kaya. And I think C.J. Beathard's very interesting as well. Not quite as high on uh, Chad Kelly from Ole Miss as, as a lot of other people seem to be, but I, I recognize there's some talent there as well. Yeah, I think you look at another quarterback, Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State, to see mm-hmm. where he is at the end of the year. I mean, they play Central Michigan, a good football team this week in Stillwater, noon kickoff. Mason Rudolph will extend the field, He'll go down the field, uh, take some chances. Uh, his arm strength is good, not great, but uh, Mason Rudolph certainly could be a guy to think about in that next group. And you want to see Mitch Leidner at Minnesota, the accuracy throwing the ball, the consistency throwing the ball. Big kid, uh, can move around, but I want to see him this year uh, be a little bit more precise with the football i didn't see the uh, first the game I, I got i got absolutely murdered on twitter because i put leidner in that stupid mock draft that sprow and his executive friends make me do at the end of every year because it gets a bunch of clicks and then i watched tape on him three weeks later and i gave him a fourth round grade so right. i mean that's how dumb that exercise is but i'm i you know i don't want to digress here um but I, I heard. Did you? Did, yeah, watch the game. Yep. How did he play? Not well. Yeah, I mean, he is what he is, and I, I want to see improvement out of Mitch Leidner, and I think that's where a lot of mobility know, showed a lot of mobility. It, yeah, but at that we knew that, Chris. I think the passing skills, you know, is it going to be good enough? And we said about Prescott, a little inconsistent throwing. He's a, he's not the Prescott's level. Leidner's not. He's a big kid. He doesn't have his go-to guy from last year. So the receivers have to evolve there. They got to get better. So I'm not going to put it all on the quarterback. They don't have a great 
array of talent around the quarterback with the Golden Gophers. And the schedule, and they were in a, in a dogfight with Oregon State. Wasn't expected to be, but it was. And now you got games coming up down the road. You got Iowa at home. Uh, the schedule's favorable at Nebraska, at Wisconsin. So Minnesota, we talk about Iowa's schedule being incredibly favorable for C.J. Beathard and company. Same thing with the Golden Gophers. And the beat, not just accurate, not put in an area, but be precise. Ken Leidner be good enough at Minnesota to make you think that in the NFL, where you got to be a heck of a lot better than what you were in, in the Big Ten, can he be that guy? I think right now I have some concerns. Uh, yeah, I was not high on Chad Kelly going in. I had C.J. Beathard one, Leidner two. This is a terrible senior quarterback group. Uh, if there's going to be any guys that emerge, it's going to be from that underclassman group. And I think Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State behind Watson and Kaya might be the next guy in line. So quickly, before we get to uh, the many tweets that have come in, you know, Todd, you were obviously on site for a game, so you might be more informed on that situation. Mel, I, you know, I talked to you on Sunday. I know you saw a lot of games. From a, just a prospect situation, was there something you saw on Saturday that you said, oh, I got to put a note down, I got to rethink this guy or this talent situation? Was there something that just popped that made you immediately look at your board and say, all right, there's a mover right away? Um. I mean, specifically in my game, Wisconsin-LSU, I, I was really impressed with uh, Vince Beagle and uh, and Watt's younger brother, T.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. Just a linebacker, linebacker player. They were yeah. awesome. I mean, they were awesome. They're going up against a pretty good LSU offensive line, Leonard Fournette, weapons on the outside, all the things that they had to deal with Wisconsin defensively. And for the, those guys to get off as many blocks as they did to play with the gap discipline they did and to go make plays, those are uh, – Watt's younger, so he, he has another year, but he's developing into a big-time player. And Beagle's never going to be an elite player, but he's one of those guys that's going to get in the league and has versatility, play special teams, awesome, awesome intangibles and love for the game. Mm-hmm. He'll just wind up sticking around five, six, seven years in the league just because he does all the little things right and, and can help you with your roster in terms of that versatility. What about you, Mel? Just something you saw where it just said, oh, all right, I got to put a couple notes down, change the board a little bit next time. Well, I was watching Michigan uh, dominate Hawaii. Hawaii had to travel to Australia, then travel to Ann Arbor, so it was a bad spot for them. That's a uh, and all those defensive players for Michigan that we were focusing on, Todd, going in. I, I'm a big Jabril Peppers fan. I, they move him around a lot, but we know Peppers, how great he can be. But a guy, Mike McCray, a junior linebacker, mm-hmm. had the injury. He was all over the field. So there's a kid that you say, okay, did, you know, watching everybody else, he was the one that jumped out. It was McCray on the defensive side uh, for the Michigan Wolverines. And, and I love Marlon Humphrey going in. I was conservative with Marlon Humphrey at third-year sophomore out of Alabama, put him he's at 24. Flying. I think he's the best cornerback right now moving forward that you may see in the country. Uh, as far as other guys, and Todd, you watched a lot of this kid last year, and Chris saw a lot of him the other night, unfortunately. It's Cooper Cup at Eastern Washington. Yeah. His father, quarterback, into the NFL with the Giants, drafted by the Giants a long time ago, Todd. But Cooper Cup, uh, you know, right now as a senior receiver, uh, decided to go back for his senior year, uh, has an awful lot of ability. Cooper Cup has played against uh... – you know, FBS teams, I think, four times. I think he's averaging about 11 catches in 190 yards. You know who you got to stop, and they can't stop him. I just can't Obviously, wait to listen we to, saw to that Kuiper again. for three straight months saying Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. You know, the one other one I'll, I'll throw out there is Ohio State's flying again. I mean, you talked about linebackers in the Big Ten is not a problem right now. You go to Iowa, you got a guy like Josie Jewell. Todd mentioned, you know, Watt and Beagle at Wisconsin. They got him at Michigan, and Urban's got a stack of them again. Raquan McMillan has been 
think about a guy that was starting as a true freshman on a team that frankly dominated Bama and Oregon back to back. Got I better mean, last year. His, yeah, he really did. He's he he broke out. You know, he it could be another situation like we saw with the Alabama guys. Of, you know, seeing a little bit of a fall because they're not three down players. But uh, Raekwon McMillan is uh he he's awesome versus the run, yeah, and he dude. like really came on during the second half of last year. Sam Hubbard's a stud too. Sorry, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis. They got a they got a bunch of guys again. That's not the problem. Um, Let's jump to some mail. We got some good stuff here. Thanks to uh, Todd's Twitter feed, at McShay13. Thanks for sending in questions, peeps. So, we got some good ones here. Drew at Camp Lambeau. Must have been one of the guys that pulled Todd up into the crowd after that Lambeau leap. Love you guys. Todd and Mel, because, you know, they are high on your board. I think Todd's got three in his top 13. That's insane, but it's early. Uh, Mel, you've got a bunch in there, too. How many running backs from this class could actually be realistically drafted in the first round? McCaffrey, you know, Fournette. I'd say right now four. Uh, you know, that That's I think, a ton. Yeah, I think four would go in the first. Fournette, definitely. Cook, uh, McCaffrey, who was contained by Kansas State for the most part. And then Nick Chubb, who ran wild against North Carolina. I would say those four. Was it 2008 we, we had four or was it five? I forget. Don't remember. I think it was, it was either four or five, but that, that would probably be the most since then, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, McCaffrey, there's a lot of different opinions on McCaffrey. I, I think it's interesting. I think he's dynamic, and, and I would use a late first-round pick on him. Fournette's definitely going to be a first-round pick. Um, Dalvin Cook will likely be a first-round pick. And then can a, a Nick Chubb or somebody else get in the mix late in the first round. So I, I would say three would be my guess at the end of the day, but we'll see. Um, and producer's note here? Yes. Yes. Five first-round running backs in 2008. Nice. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, again. I wouldn't take any of them, by the way. Chris, Chris Johnson was the fifth of the five, right? Yeah. That is correct. Thanks. Richard uh, Mendenhall was fourth of the five. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't take any of them. Fournette? Not all of them in the first round, Todd. You know my history. You know my, my philosophy on this. Hey, Frenette's going to have a million carries coming in that first round, man. Chris Bennett at Chris GB 0 says, How much NFL talent has Charlie Strong brought into Texas in the last two recruiting classes? Hey, I, according to the ratings, everybody in the country saw the game, so I think McShay might be one of them. Todd, were you impressed with what watching you saw it, from Texas? Watching it right now behind your oh, shoulder, right. right behind your back. Um, yes. Yeah, we, you know, I, I, it made sense that this team was going to get better. They finally have gotten a couple of recruiting classes in. It seems like they've weeded out some of the bad seeds or the guys that weren't as tough and, and disciplined as Charlie Strong wanted, and and uh, they clearly have a, a young quarterback. So the talent is coming. Uh, what's his name? The linebacker. Uh, Malik Jefferson. Malik Jefferson yep. was just all over the field from what I saw. I haven't watched the coach copy tape, but just watching the game live. Uh, it looks like they're getting a lot more young, talented guys. It's starting to look like Texas in the old days compared to what we've seen in the last few years. Mel, what did you think uh, when you saw that game? I know you, you know you, you, you got a little bit of a Notre Dame love still there. Uh-huh. That was a tough loss for that program. 
Well, they had a lot of adversity going in with Max Redfield not not at there at the safety spot and other issues. And you come into a game like that, and hey, you know they had a chance. They had they had the momentum just like Florida State did. They were down. They came back. Looked like they seized control, total control of that football game. Florida State was able to finish it off. Notre Dame wasn't. The big play really was when Torrey Hunter was hitting the end zone. That's a touchdown because he wasn't able to hold on to the football. No targeting. No penalty called on Texas at that particular point, and I think that was the turning point in the football game, that no penalty was called and obviously uh, you know, turned the tide against Notre Dame uh, the rest of the way, and Texas uh, got came back and won the football. Great football game, yeah, but was. certainly uh, a game that Notre Dame looked like once they got the, uh, the lead that they were not going to lose it. Guys, AJ at AJaffer23 asks, is there a receiver right now in this draft? I know we, you know the, the top of the board isn't stacked with them. Is there a receiver right now that we see as a, as a top 10 type? Who are our top 10 types? Right um, Mike Juju Williams. Smith Schuster, Mike Williams. Mike Williams is probably the, the closest if he can stay healthy. And that was the big mm-hmm. question mark. Got off to a great start. Clemson offense sputtered a little bit, but he, he certainly didn't. He was the star of that, of that game for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, Juju Smith, I, I really like Juju Smith-Schuster, but I, I, I just don't know how fast he's going to run and if he's going to he He'll probably be later first. Again, I really like him, but I, I think he's got to continue to be a little bit better as a route runner because he's not going to just run away from guys at the next level. Yeah, Ricky Seals-Jones had the drop. I'm not as impressed with him. I want to see Speedy Noyle back on the field, and he will be for Texas A&M. They had a big win. They blew the lead, and they were able to win against UCLA uh, But you know, after UCLA came back in the fourth quarter. But I think you look at Noyle, maybe uh, he emerges. Uh, Josh Reynolds, another receiver there. Uh, Chesson think... from Michigan's pretty good, too. He's he just more of a second-rounder. But I, I think Corey he's... Davis at Western Michigan yep. has a lot of ability. Uh, but I don't, I don't think, personally, this wide receiver group uh, right now, not very impressive. And the other thing that's that's odd about it, frankly, is you know Malachi Dupree, Travin Durrell at LSU, Todd, who you saw. <laughs> but we got to get some delivery there. It's really hard to evaluate. You know, hey, yeah. he created space, and the ball's five yards behind him. It's not like we had. You know, Zach Mettenberger isn't lighting the NFL on fire, but Odell and Jarvis Landry at least got some deliveries. Right. That's a that's a problem. And I think both of those guys are really good. Um, Dupree and Durrell. Yeah. I think Dupree has more upside, if you will. I think he, you know, he's taller, he's longer, he's probably—I don't know if he's faster, but he—I he, think they probably both have good speed for their size. The thing that I want to see out of both of them is when the ball's in the air. You know, and the and again, the ball's not where it's supposed to be. Underthrown deep balls, overthrown short throws. They were grinding. To every yeah. catch was a grind. There was no pluck and run. Every single catch was stop and jump and go make a contested play. They didn't make enough of them, though. And I think that's going to be the challenge. Both of them can, could stand to get a little stronger and more physical when the ball's in the air. And I think, especially for Malachi Dupree, that's going to be the big thing for him at the next level because he has the length, he has the speed, he has the athleticism. He just has to become more – it's got to be more 70-30 than it is 40-60 on those 50-50 balls. One more, uh, just because – the guy that we had talked about going into last year's draft before he decided to stick in school, Drew Hunt at Chet Stedman 22. Hey, uh, hey, Mel, where do you think Desmond King out of Iowa, the great cornerback, um, where do you think he ends up? I mean, it was him, obviously, Jordan Lewis from Michigan, but two really good Big Ten cornerbacks could have factored in, maybe late one, probably two, went back to school. Where do you see him now? 
That's what he runs. Uh, he's a guy's a playmaker, and there's no question. You see him in the return game getting it done. Just a solid football player, a veteran. He's got great awareness and coverage. Uh, he just has that it factor for a defensive back. I think Desmond King, if he runs well enough for the clock, will be a first-round pick. I had him slightly ahead of Tredavious White. Tankersley for Clemson's in that group. Lewis at Michigan, Cole Luke at Notre Dame. And then you got the underclassmen group as well uh, with uh, Tabor at Florida, Humphrey at Alabama, Jones at Jeez, Washington, Tabor. Thomas at Oklahoma, and Adoree Jackson at USC. So there's a lot of really good corners. I would put Desmond King right now, when you factor in the underclassmen, as probably the fourth in that group, but only because of the question in terms of speed. If he runs well for the clock uh, and has a good senior bowl, uh, we'll see. He's eligible to go to the senior bowl. We'll see if he does. But if he runs well for the clock, I think Desmond King, he, I'll tell you what, Todd, he plays like a mid-first-round pick. Hey, he makes plays. When the, when the ball's in the air, the guy makes plays. I, I think there's some tightness there. I don't, you know, I think that he's probably not going to run a, a low 4-4 or, or high 4-3. I think he's probably going to be a 4-5 corner. But, um, but there are plenty of guys that are successful in the league with those kind of measurables. And, and I, I, you know, to me, when you make plays at the college level to the, to the level that he has, it usually translates, especially with defensive backs when it comes to ball skills. It, it, guys just have the knack for going up and getting the football and, and tend to put themselves in position to do so and then can go actually convert the play. So underrated, I think, in the DB evaluation is, you know, it's great if you can cover and run and, and you're there to break up some passes or to limit the after the catch, but it changes games when you can actually go get the football and give it back to your offense. And, and I think he's one of the, the rare guys that we've seen in the last several years in terms of his production uh, when the ball's in the air. Also brings a little bit of return skills. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the ball skills in general, as Todd mentioned it there. Hey, we hit some tweets. We got through a bunch of rookies. We talked Carson Wentz. We talked Dak Prescott. And uh, we got some initial impressions on the 2017 draft class. Uh, You know, we don't have the footage of Todd's Lambo leap, but I... I know it's on the internet. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. I'm guessing yeah. it was about 18 inches vertical leap. I had it at 37, but I'm biased. It could have been centimeters. I just got it in full. Yeah. With dress shoes on. That would have been a disaster. And no he, beer spilt on me. Which... Mel, he did drop the jacket. Did you see that? No. Yeah, he, he took off his jacket, and then what was the thinking there? I mean, I, like your Under Armour? trying to make, it, make a scene. Yeah. Well, he's got those thousand dollar suits, Chris. He's not gonna fool with that. Well, I think I think the thing is Lambo Lambo is not a college stadium, so I think he's he thinks he's jumping into a ton of beer. And I think maybe you were worried about being hosed down. No, honestly, I just was making a scene. Okay. I decided that second that I was going to do it when they started chiding me, and I was like, fine, I dropped the mic, I dropped my notes, I ripped off my jacket and I ran and hoped for the best. The producer said you take the jacket off or you're not getting on the plane. And All I want to know is from McShay's, what's Tate's 40 time right now? Oh, he's faster than his old man, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Two years old, and I, I'm exhausted. Hey, I can't wait for the day when we're scouting Tate McShay. Ugh. I won't be, but Todd will be. The funny thing about Mel is when he asks those questions, he's literally taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll be watching Tate on TV. Todd will be actually scouting them. Okay? I heard Cal Perry last night say, hey, my son's on a team at Kentucky. I want to see McShay I went draft day. Well, although I think Tate's going to be a shortstop. I see Tate McShay as a shortstop in Major League Baseball. I don't know. He's looking a lot like a guard these days. Wow. Ah, it's early. It is. That's uh, first draft for this week. Enjoy the NFL season kicking off tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Not every week. Come on, it's fall. We've got to pace ourselves a little bit. 
But uh, we'll do it again in a couple weeks, catch up on a little uh, prospect talk, college football, and, of course, your tweets. I'm Chris Brow, Todd, Mel. That's it. Thanks for listening to First Draft. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash PodCenter.